Well, one of the things that I do, I think I maybe have said this before, but one of the things I do at Christmas time is, as a very fine and loving husband, I, I record all 17, I, this year, all 17 Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> all the new ones. And we've been watching them. It takes a long time to watch all 17, let me tell you. We've still got some left to go. Uh, they all start and end the same way. You all know that if you've watched any of them at all. Now, it's okay if you watch them. They all start with a boy or a girl in a city, usually. I mean, usually it's New York City or some city. Sometimes it's a small town, but usually start with a boy or a girl in a city, and something happens that changes the trajectory of their life. Things are going really well or things are going very poorly. It depends on how it starts. And they are placed in a different situation. They get stranded by a snowstorm or they go back to the hometown to solve a problem or they have a factory to close. Or, you know, one of those things happens. And they run across someone, some love interest usually, that changes everything. And for this lovely period of time, they, they enter this different kind of world that they've not been in before. It challenges everything they've done up to this point. And then you always know about two-thirds of the way through, there's going to be some kind of life crisis that calls the person back into the old world. And of course, you know that then something will happen to bring them back to this new life that they've wanted. And generally speaking, in the last two minutes, it's solved they kiss, the music starts, and it's over. You don't know what happened, but you hope they all lived happily ever after. You know what I'm talking about. We sort of like to do it at our house, try to figure out when the crisis happens. And last night, my wife Wanda says, it's not over yet, they haven't kissed. <laughs> and she was right, it wasn't over yet. So we all know that, but there's something, we're drawn to this story of choices and then maybe a bad choice, but there's always a possibility that we can come back and, and change the trajectory of our lives. One writer calls these movies guilty pleasures. I think deep down, every one of us wants a happy ending. Uh, the plot of most of these stories hinges on a decision made in the past that puts life in one direction, and then all of a sudden something happens and other decisions come up and it changes. Maybe one other decision changes the whole uh, trajectory of your life. We wish maybe we could have that opportunity. Maybe we're at a point in our lives where we say, you know, I, I wish I hadn't have chosen that way, that path. I wish I could change things. Can there be a happy ending for me, really? I think we love to watch those because we all hope somewhere deep down within, if we could just change one thing, just like in a Hallmark movie, our lives would change. I made a decision more than 50 years ago, one decision that changed the trajectory of my life. As a young boy, I decided to step out and follow Jesus. And that changed everything for me. One thing that I have learned over these years is that following Jesus is a journey. It's not a destination. We never really arrive. We are always a work in progress, and the work is never finished. If anyone tells you they have it all figured out, run. If any preacher or Bible teacher comes to you and has the plan laid out and says, this is the way it is, I know for certain and for sure, 
head the other way because this I am a work in progress. This life is a work in progress. I've also learned that it's hard. If anyone says it's easy, you need to run from them too because the life of following Jesus is hard. There are so many things that we can be attracted to that pull us away from our original choice to follow him. Now this morning, I'm going to look at a couple of passages. There's several passages in in the New Testament, in in the Gospels, that talk about following Jesus. And these aren't new to you. If you're a church person, these are not new to you at all. But I I hope that maybe as we look at them, it will spur something into your mind to remind you that following Jesus is still a great possibility for you, even if you feel like you're maybe in a slump. Following Jesus... It's always possible. Let's look at the first one in Matthew 4. Now, this is old school. There's nothing on the screen. You're just going to have to pay attention. This is going to be hard. Nothing on the screen. You may have to pull out a Bible in your your pew. This is in the book of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament, chapter 4. Just listen along. This is the calling of the first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men at once. They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What what do we learn from this very short introduction into the calling of the followers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus and Jesus calls us likewise. Well, one thing I see here is that these men that Jesus calls, these people that just are very ordinary people, they're blue collar workers at best. They are fishermen, a very hard uh, occupation, uh, an occupation that I believe they probably felt like they would be in for the rest of their lives, the family business. And yet Jesus comes to these very ordinary and rather uneducated people and says, I want you to follow me. Don't ever minimize who you are and what Jesus can do with you. Jesus specializes in bringing out the best in ordinary people if you'll let him. And so these men that he called didn't make excuses at this point. They just followed. Now, there were a lot of things they didn't know, but they followed with what they did know. Now, this is probably not the first time they've heard the message of Jesus. When I read this many years ago, it says, come follow me. They left at once, and then immediately they left. And, wow, all of a sudden they just got up and left? What faith? Well, yes, there was faith involved. But more, more than likely, these men had heard the message of Jesus, especially Andrew, as a follower of John the Baptist. And Andrew brought others with him and said, this man is the Messiah. And so as much possibly as a whole year passed between the, the time when these men first heard of Jesus and perhaps were even at the, the wedding in, in Cana where there was a miracle and saw Jesus' miracle. So they have seen Jesus. They have been around him. They have followed him. But here's the time when Jesus says, I am ready to begin a ministry and you're going to walk with me. Will, will you follow? Are you in? And immediately then... They go. This reminds me that that Jesus allows us time to, to make our own choices. He allows us time to make our own choices. He also calls us to do things we never thought we could do. He calls us to do things beyond the possibility of what we could do. These fishermen had limited resources and limited education and training. 
And yet, Jesus calls him to the greatest work of all, fishing of men. Now, Jesus expects us to count the cost. You remember Jesus talked uh, to his followers a little bit later and he said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you sit down first and figure out how much it will cost? Then you will see whether you have had enough money to finish it. Jesus expects us to think about the implications of making the choice to follow him. And he allows us to work through those think, that thinking process. You know, one of the things that I've heard people say, they're, they're really concerned about a family member or, or a friend who they've prayed for and they've prayed for and they've prayed for and they don't seem to have any connection to Jesus or interested in following Jesus. And yet we see here, there is a time passed between the first introduction to Jesus and their deciding to follow. It's never too late for someone to follow Jesus. So you keep on praying. You keep on influencing those who you believe need to follow Jesus more closely and let him do the convicting and let him do the working. This, this word follow me is, occurs many times in the gospels and it basically means walk alongside me, live life with me. Jesus calls these men out of one life out of one vocation into an entirely different vocation. One they would never have imagined being a part of. Jesus calls us the same way. Now he may not call you out of your own vocation, but he calls you to work within your vocation, within what you do now to follow him. That's all he asks. And remember, he can take very ordinary people and really get extraordinary results if you'll let him. Now, the other passage that I'd like for us to consider is in Luke 9, and it starts with uh, verse 23. This is right after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the son of a living God. And then Jesus says these things to his followers in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, anyone, all are invited. There are many people who want to try to exclude. Even in Jesus' day, there were people who wanted to try to put barriers and, 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 and uh, making things hard for people to come close to God. Jesus says, anyone can follow him. All can follow. This is a a welcoming following. This is something that Jesus says, I don't place restrictions on anyone to follow me. So it's not up to us to place those restrictions. It's on us to be the followers. And so Jesus says, anyone can come to me. But he does put some conditions here. As he calls everyone to him, he says there are some things that, that must happen. And you've heard these before. And in a sense, they're kind of all very similar. He says first, we must deny ourselves. 
Denying yourself means basically that we don't make ourselves the center of the universe. That we do not consider what we want to be more important than what Jesus asks of us. Our wants and desires are not the most important thing anymore. What Jesus wants for us and for the world becomes what we want for us and for the world. We are a part of a bigger story, a bigger picture that God is orchestrating and working together for good. Jesus calls us to his agenda, not ours, denying ourselves. And, and, and isn't that what started, starts the whole thing going wrong in the first place? When, when in the garden, God says, there's only one thing, only one commandment, don't do that. And we do it because we don't want to deny ourselves. Who are you to tell me what to do? And that when we deny ourselves, we say, God, you have a better plan. You have a better idea than I do. I may not get it, but it, I trust that it's better. And so I will deny what I want and I will follow, I will obey you. So we deny ourselves. Also, we take up our cross daily. Now, Luke adds daily. In Matthew, we just take up your cross, but Luke wants to remind us that this is not something that you do one time. Now, there are lots of people who use this idea of taking up your cross. Well, that's my cross to bear. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that. The idea being that, you know, there's some, some burden that they carry. And there's, in, to, in a sense, a truth to that. But when Jesus talked about taking up the cross, everyone in his audience knew what this meant. Because crucifixion was the form of death used by the Roman oppressors. And to them, taking up your cross means walking to your death with your cross. Being willing to suffer and die. It's not just like having a backache is your cross to bear. It's not like this person in your life who is hard to get along with is your cross to bear. It's something much more intense than that. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he says, be willing to suffer. Be willing even to die because you follow me. In Jesus' day, this cross was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of suffering. Jesus is telling his followers they need to put to death everything that would hold them back from him, even their very lives. If you wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your friends? How about if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means a loss or a change in your reputation? How about if it means losing your job or losing your life? Fortunately, today, if you are a follower of Jesus here in the United States of America, losing your life is not really a, a, a threat, is it, yet? But today in parts of this world, Christians are literally losing their lives because of their faith. They are willing to take up their cross. And we see examples of their bravery and we wonder, could we follow Jesus that far? Take up your cross 
And then the third one is just basically a summary. Deny self, take up your cross, follow me. Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? As we end this year, would people say, when I see him or her, I see Jesus? Would they say, I see a person that's more loving than they were last year? Kinder, more generous, more compassionate. If they could say that, they would be able to say, I I can perceive that you are walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus means following his example. Being the kind of person he was in his everyday life. But it also means carrying out his mission in the world. Not just being a good person, but also joining him in his mission of bringing other people to him. So we become missionaries, in a sense, in our own circles of influence. You don't have to go to a foreign country to be a missionary. We are all missionaries in the places where God has planted us. That's what it means to follow him. Everywhere we go, we are like he said in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, we are salt and we are light. We are changing the very flavor of our culture because we've been with Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. Jesus goes on to say that his followers will lose their lives in order to save them. In many cases, as I said today, that in our world, uh, people are losing their lives. But in our case, it simply means that we will be spending our life and our resources on others rather than hoarding things to ourselves. We will serve others rather than keeping this to ourselves. And in so doing, we gain a fuller life in our world right now and a promise of the world to come. In the Hallmark movies, there is this crisis point for the main character. And the crisis usually is something like this. What if I have received everything I really thought I wanted in this life, everything I've worked hard for, and all of a sudden I find out it's not really what I needed in the first place. I have worked so hard for this and it's empty. Stephen Covey said, what if you've climbed the ladder of success only to find it's leaning against the wrong wall? That's the crisis that we all have. What if we followed after the wrong thing? And at some point in our life, we discover it's not what we wanted. Well, you know, when you were a child, you you wanted certain Christmas presents. I know you did. I used to hunt for them in the house and found them one year, got in big trouble for that. But you know, it, it wasn't long before I... I didn't play with those toys anymore and I can't hardly remember what, what those things were but I just staked my life on I just had to have it Wired Magazine three or four years ago uh, published a list of the best toys ever the five best toys ever what do you think they were? well this is probably not audience participation I can tell you're not quite Ready to do that, so I'll give you the answers. That's what you want, right? Here are the five best toys ever. A stick. A box. String. A cardboard tube. And my personal favorite, dirt. What if, 
What we think we want is not really what makes us happy or what we really need. I think those illustrated. How many times have you as a parent been so frustrated to buy this wonderful gift for your child and you find them messing around with the box? Or wrapping presents and they take the present tubes and start having sword fights with them. Sometimes what we think we really need really isn't what we really need. And that's what Jesus says here. What if we think we want this and we gain the whole world and we lose our very soul? I've been reading this book very slowly called Essentialism. And there's a point in there that I really find interesting that I want to make, and I'm going to read it. It's a few sentences long, but hang with me on this. The the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. Did you get that? Singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Ironically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. When we try to do it all and have it all, we find ourselves making trade-offs at the margins that we would never take on as our intentional strategy. Now, hang with me. Just one more sentence. When we don't purposefully and deliberately choose where to focus our energy and time, Other people will choose for us, and before long, we'll have lost sight of everything that is meaningful and important. Have you lost sight of what's meaningful and important? Maybe it's because you have too many priorities. As we stand looking back at the year past and anticipating what lies before us. I'd like to challenge you and me to establish one priority. To go back to the original meaning of the word. I will become a better follower of Jesus in 2016. You can't have a double major when it comes to following Jesus. That theologian Bono said this, it's very annoying following this person of Christ around because he's very demanding of your life. What will it take to become a better follower of Jesus in 2016? Tim Keller says, if Jesus is really God, all the conditions are gone. He can't just be a supplement. We have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to let you start a complete reordering of my life. So what does a complete reordering look like? How do you know that you're following Jesus? How can you look and say, this is really where I want to go in 2016? Well, for one thing, you can study the words of Jesus. Let me give you just a, 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 a little tip. Why don't you start reading the red letters in your New Testament? Learning what Jesus has to say about life and living and following him. And then ask yourself, am I out of line? And how do I get back in line? 
That's a very simple move to make, but one that can totally readjust your priority to following him. But that's sometimes a little bit more theoretical. It's a little hard to to read these words and maybe figure out what that is that you need to do. So another suggestion I might have for you is this. Find some mature Christians that you look up to and hang around with them. Live life with them. Watch them as they struggle through their lives, through the good times and the bad, as they follow Jesus and learn and struggle and follow together. You can't do that in here because we all put on our best faces. We look good, we probably smell good. We clean up nice and, and we think, well, you know, nobody here has a problem. Nobody here has a struggle following Jesus. And yet you all know you do. So start spending time with Christians, with followers of Jesus who want to walk this road with Jesus and you together. We have life groups, we have all sorts of things around here that you can get involved with people who share values, that you, who have this vision of living more like Jesus. They're not there yet. But together, we're better. And by surrounding yourself with people who have the same values, we can follow Jesus better in 2016. You also have to have intention. Are you really willing to follow? Uh, in a recent study uh, called The Social Animal, David Brooks points to current, current research that says the common denominator in attaining excellence in any field is this, long-term commitment to discipline and practice. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. If you want something to happen, you have to work at it. We had a, a leadership summit here in August, and one of the speakers talked about a characteristic called grit. You just have to want it. Remember what Jesus said to the, the man who had been in this condition, this lame condition, uh, for a long time? Jesus asked him, Do you want to get well? You have to want to follow Jesus. Do you want? to follow him better in 2016. And, and you have to have a way, a method, or a plan. H how can I accomplish this? Following Jesus starts first on the inside and then works its way outside. So we have to become something and then we start doing things. The navigators talk about these things in, in terms of following Jesus. Besides walking with him daily, they talk about knowing and living the scriptures. They talk about participating in community and relationships with others. They talk about building relationships with people who are far from God and then replacing yourself or discipling or reproducing others who are able then to also follow Jesus. You cannot do everything at once, but you can do one thing. Think how different your life may be next year at this time if you just changed one thing. Just one thing. You could be a better follower of Jesus. Now, you've heard this story before, uh, but it, I think it, it bears repeating about the young driver who uh, went out to the car in a snowstorm after work and, and, and didn't know exactly what to do. Remembered that, that his dad said, if you follow a snowplow in a blizzard, you won't get stuck. And so he waited and the snowplow came along and he followed the snowplow. Remember the story? He kept following the snowplow. Finally, the driver of the snowplow stops, gets out, goes back to the young man and put down the window and he said, you know, what, what are you doing? He said, well, my dad told me if I get in a, in a, in a 
pinch, just follow a snow pile and I won't get stuck. He said, that's fine. You can follow me as long as you want. When I get done with Walmart, I'm going to go over to Kmart. <laughs> Are you in circles following the wrong thing? This is our time to commit to change our life dramatically. Well, got to wrap up. A Hallmark Christmas movie fan, Addie Zerman said this, there's a little tiny part of me that finds it sort of nice. The idea that somehow during Christmas time, people start to see things better, truer. They let go of old hurts. They forgive their parents. They go home after being away too long. They make peace with their past. Things are made right in the end. Those desires to get forgiveness at homecoming, peace, redemption, all of those stem from deep spiritual needs within us. Isn't that what we all want? Things to be made right in the end? We are a part of a much grander story than a Hallmark movie. One in which we have to choose. But saying yes to Jesus means saying no to other things. But saying yes also means we are promised everything will be made right in the end. We all have faith in something. And that's a story that I can believe in. I've saved the hardest verse for last. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. So you are writing the end of this story, of your story, and you can determine how it ends. You must choose how you respond to Jesus and how you respond to him determines how he will respond to you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it is time for you to make following Jesus the priority. Not one of many, because you really can't multitask, but that's the priority. And then remember Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come, come together. If you make following Jesus your priority, everything else will fit. If you've not quite made that decision to follow Jesus this morning, I just want to remind you that it's never too late. God can work on you. He is working on you if you're here this morning. And he's here waiting. He stands at the door. The Bible says and knocks. Anyone who wants him can just simply open the door and let him in. And that's your choice. But he will never force his way. He will let you choose. So this morning, it's a choice for all of us. Will we become better followers of Jesus in 2016 or will we just follow that plow around a circle in the parking lot? I like what Mark Batterson said. He said, the primary reason most of us don't see God moving is simply because we aren't moving. If you want to see God move, you need to make a move. And that's my challenge for you this morning. Make a move. Let's follow Jesus in 2016 better than we've ever done before.